A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 210 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Erleman. And with me like that feeling that true legends never die, the EU guru himself, the count of our two continuities, Mr. Nathan B. Butler! Hello, everyone! Hello, hello! Thank goodness the year is almost over. Oh my gosh, we got Rogue One coming up, and uh, for a teacher, we're just a few weeks out from having a real break. Not this little stressful Thanksgiving break thing. (sighs) Can't wait, can't wait. Yes, indeed, we're recording the day the Rogue One tickets are being sold. I'm seeing nothing but got mine, got mine, got mine all over the uh, social webs. I uh, will not be getting mine until the day of. I'm taking Ooh. that. I'm taking that rare gambit. Living dangerously. <laughs> I am. I think this is the one time that living in a smaller city kind of benefits me because I've never had to worry about getting my tickets early. Uh, I've never had to worry about showing up and being turned away. It was full. Uh, but I also I'm working at the theater, so I'll get to see the movie like a oh, day or yeah. two before everybody else. So I am gonna go see it on the opening day because I'll be seeing it with my family at that point. I'm totally pulling the the lying to them. Like they, they when they found out I'm I'm gonna be watching it with the theater group, they were kind of like really really pissed off. And I was like, guys, like, what's the point of working at the movie theater if I can't watch Star Wars movies before the rest of the world? Like, I get it. Like, you want to watch it with dad, but. Dad's got to watch it first. Come on now. You know this. <laughs> Screw you, children. I'm evil. Wow. I'm evil. Um, see, I never got that kind of benefit when I worked at a theater, but granted, that was that was quite a while ago. Now, we got our tickets. We're going to go. Uh, my wife works until about 730 that night, so we're not doing the very first showing, which is just sort of a traditional regular showing, but we're going to go to one at 1015 that night. That's good. That's the uh, the XD 3D thing that Cinemark has, which is this larger screen, but not like IMAX size and has the real D 3D and all that. So we're going to go do that. Uh, once again, we are going to see it in the town in which Riley and Bethany live while they go see it in <laughs> Atlanta itself. Um, so once again, ships passing in the night. But uh, eventually, I swear we're going to be able to pull off a... A meet maybe when, maybe when we get uh, a couple weeks from now, or I guess about a week from now, actually, when we finally have the uh, X-wing VR mission for Battlefront, I'll be able to be like, come on, come on. Hey, VR was able to to lure Michael from Cloud City Casino, yeah, uh, down this way. So there you go. That's so. I keep seeing all you Georgians, and I'm just like, okay. I started a Facebook group for for fans in Oregon. I'm like, all right, Star Wars fans in Oregon, come on. I know you're out here. Come, Georgia can't be the capital of all Star Wars endeavors, but it seems to be the case. Well, 
Well, just just give it time, because because most of of the people in your area are probably still rioting. <laughs> yeah, there is that. There is that. I'm just saying. Um, so, uh, so I guess the news on this end. Um, I did also just finish and submit a story for a new anthology that's oh, coming out. Nice. James Robert Cruz Wilder or Jim Wilder uh, is the guy behind a new sci-fi venture. He's calling Ten Thousand Dawns. Just released the first full-length novel in that. And he's doing an anthology that's going to have a bunch of stories set in that universe, sort of building up the backstory and that sort of thing. And I'm writing, or have written, what is really my first attempt at doing a full-size short story, about 10,000 words, that is all in first person, Mm. featuring kind of a a smarmy guy. He's basically, he's sort of an anti-hero because he's a slaver. Oh my. And it's sort of what happens after everything falls apart for the slave empire that he's a part of uh, when it finally gets cracked down on by the local authorities and it all falls apart. What does he do with his life from there and that sort of thing? So uh, it's been it's been a, a fun time doing that, playing a lot of the PSVR stuff. So I kind of feel like we're getting to a point where it's almost like a lot of the Star Wars stuff has started to wind down for the year except for Rogue One. So it's nice that we're able to actually get into our year in review a little earlier this year so it doesn't suck up the entire first quarter of the year this time. (laughs) I know that we are doing something different this time, though, folks. We're doing four episodes instead of three. Usually it's books and then comics and then just other stuff, which would be the films and TV shows and games and all that stuff kind of lumped together. This time there's enough that we're going to split that last one up. So it'll be books, then comics, then one on the games, video, and otherwise, and then one on TV slash films. So we can record stuff now that's about the books, for instance, and then the comics next week or so, because by the time we get to the one about films and TV, we will have both seen Rogue One. And as far as books and comics go, there are some new releases still left as of the time we're recording this. Not a whole lot likely to be said about them, but we'll touch on them briefly. And if there is something really noteworthy to talk about about them, we'll tack that on to the end of our TV films episode that ends this year. And then, of course, I guess after that, it's all Rogue One for an episode or two, right? Rogue One and Catalyst and stuff like that, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't go wrong with that. Oh, certainly you can go wrong, because remember, we gave our honest opinions of what we thought about The Force Awakens, and we're told repeatedly we were wrong, and because we liked it, we weren't possibly objective. Yeah, that's true. I was I was a hopeless fanboy. Uh. Yeah, we, we certainly can apparently go wrong. <laughs> I am a hopeless fanboy. I mean, they weren't wrong in that regard. <laughs> Just not necessarily on this. Yeah. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we take a look back over the previous year of Star Wars Publishing. This is your Beyond the Films 2016 Year in Review. That's right, you know how we do it. This episode, we'll be focusing on the novels, the short stories, and the kid books of 2016, with our next episode being comics, followed by games, which, as Nate said, will be an episode all of its own this year. And lastly, Films, television, and the um, other stuff. Now that said, consider this your spoiler warning beyonders and sentience of all ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films.
All right, well, let's see. We got quite a lot of books this time around. Not nearly as many as comics, though. Holy crap, the year <laughs> in comics was huge. Uh, and I would say that because of that, we'll probably need to even wrap magazines into this time because there's just so much to talk about in comics that if we hit magazines there like we often would, they'd get lost in the shuffle. So it makes sense. Insider has short stories. You know, that'll work as part of books, and we can just sneak Rebels in under the door. But let's get into the books here. In no particular order... Uh, one of the big books of the year, but one that is often overlooked because, of course, it's just a novelization with just in quotes, was the novelization of The Force Awakens. Not just the regular novelization, the adult one, but also a junior version of the novelization, and not just regular versions of both. Both of them had special edition versions. Uh, for the adult one, they were both hardback, and you had... Just a special edition that had extra pages of photos from the film. Whereas in the case of the junior novelization, you had one that was paperback and then a hardback with more photos, which was, yeah, hardback instead of paperback, which is kind of <laughs> neat. So the Force Awakens novelization kicks off this year, despite the fact that the film itself came out back in December of 15. Yeah, and I, I want to say the junior novelization especially added a few little things to the story. Uh, it was one that I didn't get, and then once I learned that, I was like, ah, crap, now i got to go and find this thing. <laughs> yeah, I thought these were all right. The junior novelization plays fairly well, adds a few little tidbits here and there. The adult novelization, its way of handling it does fairly well. It's fairly straightforward. There are a few little tidbits here and there that we learn. But, and we see some scenes that were cut from the film, but I'm wondering about how it all is going to wind up fitting in the grand scheme of things because they've talked about how the novelizations sort of fit into canon where they match the films, but if they contradict or otherwise show something not in the film, it's not necessarily canonical because the novelization itself, the adult one at least, by Alan Dean Foster, is it's basically just a retelling of the film. It doesn't add a whole lot, mm. but where it adds... You've got things like the deleted Snowspeeder chase. Well, okay, that's now in the deleted scenes we get with one of the home video releases to check out. There's the deleted bit with Chewbacca ripping an arm off of Unkar Plutt. That's now in the deleted scenes on the 3D Collector's Edition and so forth. But then you've got little things like an, an expanded role for Corsella, which is pretty cool. We get to know more about that character. We see her in Bloodline, so getting more on her here, that's cool. But then we also have things like an explanation for how Starkiller Base works mm -hmm. that doesn't seem to actually fit what happens in the film. It seems like maybe they made some changes to how it was going to look and the whole darkening of the skies and sucking away from the planets and blah, 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 uh, and how it would fire. And just they seem to have tweaked it enough that I guess you could sort of shoehorn the explanation of how it works from the novelization into canon alongside what they say within the film and other sources but I was hoping that, especially for a novelization that got delayed in release and did not come out either before the film like they usually do mm. or day and date with the film, that they would have taken the time to iron out a lot more of those types of things. So, I don't know. I think that the novelization and junior novelization, while decent, they don't hold a candle to something like the Revenge of the Sith novelization. So they're very much a sort of a, a take it or leave it thing for me. 
No, I'm in the same boat. I mean, you know, the the internal point of view scenes where we get with Kylo and we get with Rey, uh, you know, where he looks at her and he's like, it's her. You know, those little things, while insightful, they were very small, very lackluster. You know, and, and it almost makes me wonder what's going on in general with Delray since Disney has taken over. I mean, you know, this was the first time we had the book come almost a whole month after you know, the film was out. Granted, we did have the ebook, but the physical book did not come out until January. So there was there was that. There was like the aspect of all the review copies of most books have been coming, you know, the day of release or a few days after. Uh, it just seems really weird in that regard that it's almost like they're backing off on some of the things that they've always done. And when I think about, you know, how detail oriented uh, episode three was, you know, Matthew Stover, how how into it he got with that book. And then I think about what we got with this one, and, and there is definitely a disconnect there. It's it's almost like a totally different process. Like, suddenly now they're afraid to write that backstory because they're afraid to contradict. Because if they contradict, well, then they, they shatter that illusion that it's all canon because that's the promise that we got in 2014 moving forward is that it all it all matters now. It all counts. And yet, bam, right out the gate with the movie and this novelization with Finn getting cut from the front and the back. I mean, you know... Granted, it's part of the process of, of creating a film and a book universe at the same time, but we already have those contradictions and they arose even though they were playing it safe. So, I mean, it, it makes me stop and wonder, has Delray done something different of late? Are they telling their authors not to go so, you know, overboard with references to other things? Uh, you know, now we've got this the, the talk that we're not going to get, you know, the crawl. That we're going to see the the uh, anthology, the Star Wars story films are going to be separate from the saga films to a degree. And I'm like, wait, why are we going out of our way to separate this stuff? It's all one canon. Like, I just, I, I kind of, it makes me wonder if there's like some kind of Disney memo out there floating around that has a hand in all this. I don't know. I mean, I guess with novelizations, I mean, that's always part of the process. You're going to wind up, if they want it out anytime remotely close to the film then, yeah, there's going to be differences because of the the way the creative process works, especially when it comes to things that you can create now that you don't even need to really shoot. Just create it in a computer during post-production and you're done. Yeah. But that said, they did delay it. And yet, there were still the issues that popped up, the, the few contradictions that popped up that were more jarring. The, the dialogue tended to be fairly close. But... It took a while for the junior novelization to come out, so why not wait on the adult one? Oh, because you were going to put out the ebook before a physical book. Well, why? Was that a test run to see how well the ebooks would sell if you released that by itself first? Like digital movies being released prior to the physical copies? Uh, I'm still waiting on Suicide Squad Extended Cut, God help me, that'll come out about a week or two from now. Uh, but I could get that digitally if I wanted to at the moment. It's like the process has definitely changed to some degree, and the review process certainly has. I guess it's it's almost like an inside baseball thing, kind of, it sounds like. But for a while now, we've gotten review copies of books from Del Rey, and then more recently, some from Disney Lucasfilm Press. And previously, I mean, I don't know how Disney Lucasfilm Press had done it before, how Disney Press had done it before, because we didn't start getting those until, you know, right around Force Friday uh, for The Force mm -hmm. Awakens. But prior to recently, Del Rey would usually wind up sending out an advanced uncorrected proofs copy of a book. It was the pages that hadn't been checked for things like small spelling or formatting errors. They were in these bland-looking white and usually purple 
paperback copies, no finished artwork or anything, just a lot of uh, uh, business-type text on the front and information for selling points and whatnot right on the inside page. And then eventually, maybe they would send you a finished copy of a book to review the finished version, but not necessarily always. Yeah. And every once in a while, instead of getting an early copy of a uh, an uncorrected proof version, it was just an early copy of the book itself. So sometimes it was one, sometimes the other, sometimes both. But pretty much always early enough that it made sense to get them to you so that you could get a review out on or right after release to help drive sales of the book when it launched. Mm -hmm. And now what we're seeing is... Like, for instance, this time, uh, Rogue One Catalyst. Rogue One Catalyst was coming out. Hadn't seen any kind of review copy. I order a copy off of Amazon. Okay, no problem. It winds up actually arriving, along with my 3D Collector's Edition of The Force Awakens on Blu-ray, uh, a day earlier than the actual release date. Sure enough, same day, in the mailbox, same delivery, there's a copy of Catalyst from Disney Lucas or from uh, Del Rey that I had no notification about whatsoever that it was coming, if it was coming at all. Mm -hmm. So we wind up with an extra copy that we can give away, which is awesome. But how does that help someone to write a review during the week or so of release? They could just as easily have bought a copy and given a review. It's nice to get the copy. But from a timing standpoint, if you're wanting those really early post-release, or even in some cases sort of spoiler-free pre-release reviews... Why send them out so they don't arrive until the day of, the day after, one day before? It, it makes me wonder if there's either a, a greater secrecy policy on the books regarding spoilers, even though these books aren't spoiling anything really other than themselves when you read them, or if perhaps what we're seeing is, to some degree, a lack of confidence in the works. Uh, I don't see why they would have had a lack of confidence, for instance, in Catalyst, or for instance, in Bloodline. Mm -hmm. But I could see Aftermath having a lack of confidence. And Aftermath didn't arrive until several days, uh, maybe even more than that, I forget, mm -hmm. after release. Never had any uncorrected proof type things sent out from what I can tell. I'd love to know what the mindset is and why that has changed. Or if it isn't even a conscious choice. Yeah. Maybe it's just the way things have gone because of the publishing schedule. But... It's now a pattern. This is not a one-time or two-time thing. So, why? I mean, I, it's nice to still have the review copies coming, mm -hmm. but I'd love to know the backstory of how things are shifting and why. Because I want to be able to get timely reviews out if they're going to be providing us with free copies specifically to do that. But I can't do that if I have a day to read a 400-page book. Yeah, and, and and you're getting it still before me. I didn't get Catalyst until two days after it was out. So I mean, I and I'm a slow reader. I mean, I I need a little more time. Uh, Ahsoka, you know that book that was the Disney Press one, but that one came out so early. I had that book done and and read a second time uh, before I had to worry about yeah. it coming out. I mean that that it's nice when that happens because yeah, we have the chance to be more prepared. Uh, you know, be able to be informative on the topic, not sitting there guessing why such and such is going to be this or that, or what villain in the movie is going to be doing this, but the backstory is already explained in Catalyst, but I haven't taken the time to read it yet. Uh, you know, I mean, we want to be kind of informed. This is a podcast about books and comics and stuff, so, you know, it is nice to know our topic when we're talking about it. Now, I will say, Ahsoka, I wonder if that was an anomaly for us, because we got that quite a bit early, but I wonder if it was an anomaly because when they had was it San Diego Comic-Con or whatever it was, they put out 
that there, there was some question at the time of well, what are they putting out that they're giving away? On the first day, they gave out a full uncorrected proofs copy of Ahsoka. On the second and third days, they put out just a, a, a chapter sampler type thing. Kind of like what they did with putting out a pre-release copy of A New Dawn back at one of the celebrations, I yeah. think it was. Or, or San Diego Comic-Con. I forget. It, it all blends together in my head right now. But suffice to say, I wonder if that was an anomaly because I don't think Disney Lucasfilm Press usually hits that early either. But we'll get to Ahsoka momentarily. Uh, sticking with the The Force Awakens theme... We also had a pair of books released this year that are they're geared more towards the younger readers in terms of their style, but they were meant to sort of give us the perspective of the two main characters, Finn and Rey, on The Force Awakens. They were referred to as Rey's story and Finn's story. Um, I picked these up and checked them out. Mark, were these ones that showed up on your radar that you cared about at all? Uh, Ray's story was actually sent to me uh, by the, the Disney press group. Uh, oh. I thought it was kind of cool. It added a few little things to it. Finn's story, I didn't catch. one. I didn't see it anywhere. It kind of slipped past me. Eventually, I'll hopefully get it to add to it since there's the only two of them. But uh, I liked uh, when they did this with the Phantom Menace. Uh, they did that. They had a Maul apprentice story where it was all Maul's point of view and stuff. Padme. Uh, and we also had an Anakin point of view. Uh, so, you know, I, I thought it was kind of a no-brainer. I was kind of a little bummed that they didn't do it for Poe. Granted, they did do Poe uh, later with the uh, flight log book, but, you know, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, I thought these were all right. I mean, they don't really add a whole heck of a lot, but it's kind of cool to see overlap, for instance, with that uh, Before the Awakening book that had come out, mm -hmm. uh, especially in the case of some of the early stuff in Finn's book. What kind of got me was that since it is the perspective of those characters— the Finn book just ends uh -huh. because he he gets his butt kicked, takes a slash to the back, and is basically comatose or at least unconscious the entire rest of the film. So that one was a little bit odd. And he died. <laughs> like, but mommy died. He died. It just it stopped. No, honey, he didn't die. But even in the film, like he just we don't see him walk away. <laughs> Wait till the next one, honey. It it ended the way that uh that most horror movies end, right? And they all lived happily ever after. Except the black guy. Oh. What? What? It kind of is the way that it turned out. Um, He's like, I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah, exa exactly. So it's... Uh, see, now i got to watch Scream again. Or at least season <laughs> two on, on Netflix of the TV show. So yeah, I mean, these were all right. I think that they don't add a lot. But it's cool to see their perspectives and, and get a little bit inside their heads. Between that and the novelizations, we have a better sense of what's going on in their minds. Though it would always be cool to see more, maybe see something first person or whatnot from them. Um, speaking of the younger reader books, we actually have a new series that sort of premiered this year. I say sort of because this is a show geared mainly towards the American audience, not because we don't love our, uh, our audience outside the United States, but because that's where we are getting the new releases from. So if something is released outside the U.S., a lot of times we won't have a chance to really go into it until later it gets a reprint here. And coming up next year... We have a reprint in the U.S. of a series that actually began in the U.K. that so far hasn't had a U.S. release, and that is Adventures in Wild Space. Uh, Adventures in Wild Space following a pair of children, basically, uh, who are relatively inventive. You know, they're very Wesley Crusher-ish. They're going to be able to solve everything, you know, each time. And their pet Kowakian lizard monkey and their hodgepodge droid as they try to evade the Empire and, at the same time, figure out where their parents have been taken because their parents 
managed to gather sensitive uh, astronomical data and uh, navigational data and whatnot that now the Empire wants about wild space. And they managed to get out five different books in that series this year, but they're all overseas at this point. The Escape uh, was a World Book Day uh, exclusive thing that in the U.S. will be put into, it's basically like a prologue, put into the book for the first official book. Nice. Uh, then you have the first official book, The Snare, then The Nest, then The Dark, which over here will be called The Darkness, and The Steel, uh, which is also being renamed over here, I think called The Heist. Huh. But have you checked these out at this point? Or are you waiting for the U.S. ones? Yeah, I'm waiting for the U.S. one. I cursory, you know, when I saw, uh, you know, Eddie was posting stuff up there, he always, I always end up finding all the U.K. stuff through him. And I was like, "Oh, dude, this is only this is only them. Like they're only getting that. What? Like that doesn't happen that often." I think uh, the Clone Wars by Karen Travis. That novelization was about the only book uh, in the old Legends books that we never saw on on our seas. So I was kind of like, "Oh man, I hope we see this." And I know you had rushed out and you'd bought them all. Mm-hmm. I was kind of going to do the same thing, and then I saw, "Oh, it, it will be coming to the U.S." So I was like, "Okay, I'll, I'll hold off. I'll wait on this." But I, I was kind of excited. It's, it to me, it feels like it's got that galaxy of fear kind of uh, series feel to it. Uh, you know, like, you got the kids doing their own thing. Like, I, I dig this. I, I think the aspect of using wild space the way they have and having their parents be cartographers is, I think it's a brilliant move. Uh, I think it could be a really cool story. I think the thing that really po- kind of bums me is that this could be one of those stories that they could tie into other things really easily, and I know they're not going to do it. I just, I I, I feel that. I feel like that's, like, the, the new name of the game is hey let's not connect things when we could and i i just i think everything with going on in wild space here is a really cool plot that they could use on a galactic scale right now i just think that would be a brilliant idea well so far it's been kind of hit or miss it's two different writers alternating back and forth uh kevin scott and uh, a guy named huddleston and What's happening, based not to be confused with Hiddleston, which is Loki, <laughs> but the issue that's going on is as they're sort of swapping back and forth, you can tell different writing styles. One of them very, very focused on like the weird creatures and whatnot, and the other focused more on the character interactions. And it's all right. It's had some interesting moments. It's got an interesting uh, villain, an Imperial Captain, uh, steel-jawed Imperial Captain, very much like the James Bond villain Jaws. Or trap jaw, I guess, from He-Man. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But I don't know. I'm curious where they go with it and whether there's a defined ending point in mind. It very much does have a reminiscent feel like a galaxy of fear without the specific horror elements to it. It's more like just various tense situations to put the kids into. Sometimes horror, sometimes not. Uh, I'm glad that they are going to be re-releasing it over here. And... I don't want to spoil much, but suffice to say, there are some connections. The parents of a particular Rebels character wind up showing up once we get to the latter books that have been released so far. This is set just after the Clone Wars, so it's these characters quite a bit earlier than when Rebels is happening. Uh, But they finally have managed to tie some things in because our characters made it uh, to a location we know from Rebels to meet these parents we know from Rebels. So I'm hoping that this ties into more. My guess is those characters are just going to be here for this story, but then these stories won't be referenced again outside of this when dealing with those parental characters. But you never know. You kind of hope. Yeah, I mean, uh, when they did the same thing with uh, Breakout Squadron, 
uh, where they tied him into the comics and stuff. And we had Nero, uh, the the Chiss Jedi, the Red Eye Jedi. You know, I just I thought that was a good series. I like the way they tied it together. That actually intrigues me even more. Like now, I feel like when this comes, I have got to get my hands on it. Fandom expectations never to be met are built on hope. Yes. Okay, sorry. Okay, um, so we have those. Then when it comes to just sort of some of the oddball stuff that, that crosses year to year, like that one's crossing between 2015 or, yeah, 2015, I don't know. Like that one's crossing between 2016, yeah, that year, and 2017 as it comes to the U.S. We do have one that crossed 2015 into 2016, very much like tying things together from The Force Awakens, and that was our new anthology Although an odd one, uh, Landry Q. Walker writing all of the stories in it, as opposed to it being multiple different writers. Tales from a Galaxy Far, Far Away, Aliens. Uh, it's volume one, so presumably we're going to get more of these. Now, this is an odd one because there were four ebooks that were released in 2015 just as individual ebooks, and we were promised they would be collected in this anthology with a couple more stories. And sure enough, a six story anthology finally was released this year. You know, <laughs> I am. Not in a in a camp of caring. I I have in the past said you know we need more tales of books, but aliens like that's not the direction. I when I said I always wanted tales of books, I wanted like tales of Rogue Squadron or tales of the New Jedi Order or you know things of that nature. The tales of Jabba's palace, the tales of Mos Eisley Cantina, sucked the life out of me. Tales of the Bounty Hunter. Yeah, it was hit or miss. I like Tales of the Empire. Tales of the New Republic are all right, but Tales of the Aliens, like, ah, I just ooh. Ooh, don't see a reason for me to care. Wow. See, I I, I expected a different answer. Um, I guess for me, I mean, I liked the original anthologies. I liked the fact that we had the Tales from Jabba's Palace and Tales from the Most Icy Cantina, where we had all these background characters getting some more uh, life to them. But with the caveat, though... That it wasn't just, hey, let's tell a story with this background character. It was, hey, let's tell a story with this background character. And in the case of almost every short story in those anthologies, it crossed over with the film itself. Mm -hmm. Why were they at the Most Eisley Cantina on that day? What did they do immediately before and after what they witnessed? Why were they at Jabba's Palace? Were they on the sail barge? Did they survive? Stuff like that. So we could see them in the background and not just know them but know what was going on with them at the time. That is not what this is. This is a set of stories that appear to be sometime, probably before, but maybe even after <laughs> The Force Awakens, oh, with zero, zero defined <laughs> chronological elements to them <laughs> that just happen to be about characters who happen to still be at Maz's castle when The Force Awakens happened. Uh. So, and and the stories themselves don't cross over with The Force Awakens. Oh. They don't connect with it. They don't tell why they're there in most cases, unless they work there, in which case why they're there is a given. They're just kind of not around. And it's not all necessarily Maz's castle. Some of it's Jakku, too. You've got all creatures, great and small. It's Baba Joe. It's the dude with all the creatures and stuff that we briefly see uh, standing in line, I think it is, on Jakku. That's actually kind of a weird story because it's him basically telling the story of A New Hope where it really wasn't the heroes from the film that did everything. It was him and these weird creatures that he had with them, all of which get almost like a Disney-esque, like, God, like, like, friggin' talking 
mice, and, mice stuff and birds type of story. Oh god. That's really really kind of weird, but it's it's presented as if he's just telling a tall tale kind of thing. I mean, you have a recipe for death, which is one of the stories that was added new for the print anthology, which is basically a murder mystery solved by what amounts to a reality TV style cooking contest. <laughs> Yes, it's, yes, yes. And that's not the strangest one. I promise you. Oh. And that was about uh, the the cook. Um, then you have High Noon on Jakku, which is basically about uh, Constable Zuvio and a, a case that he had there on Jakku. Um, but at least he finally gets some spotlight since, you know, yeah. you kind of got to pause and you'll, or you'll miss him in the film, uh, no matter how much he was promoted. We have The Face of Evil, which is actually kind of creepy, Dealing with sort of like some mad scientist, mad surgeon type of characters trying to trying to do a job for a, an escaping convict. Um, you have the Crimson Corsair and the Lost Treasure of Count Dooku, which is just a an adventure romp, a pirate adventure romp with the Crimson Corsair, uh, Sedan Ithano, who of course Finn is talking about leaving uh, Maza's castle with before he winds up rejoining our heroes. Uh, and then you have the other one that was new to this one called True Love. Now, I'm going to spoil this, because if you read it, your IQ points will drop, and I don't want that to happen to you. <laughs> it's basically the story of a couple of guys who want to, who, to want to betray Unkar Plutt and get access to this supposed cache of valuables that he has, right? They do this by setting up, I you not, sorry, Michael. <laughs> They do this by setting up an AI of a female member of Uncarplut species, basically. <laughs> Which, by the way, don't exist. But they make it up anyway, so huh? surprise, surprise, he figures it out, right? That's the, that's, that's the twist. Oh. What? They didn't bother to check and see? How do you make him based on a female of that species if there is no female of that species? What the hell? Anyway. Like Hutz have been doing it for years. Yeah, apparently. But it's an AI, and they ensnare Unkar by using a, a basically what amounts to an internet dating site oh, Jesus. for this fake woman to hook Unkar and get him to reveal sensitive information. And the AI falls in love with him and <laughs> can't follow through with it. Oh my god, this was ridiculous. So... That's what you're getting with this book. I love the anthologies. I wanted to see more anthologies. These stories are bizarre. And if you like Star Wars stories that are bizarre or just goofy ones that are just kind of there that, that play on genre tropes, go for it. If you want to know more about the characters from inside Maz's castle or on Jakku, hey, go for it. But it's not going to tell you anything about the connection to the film itself. But just know this was not the anthology we were looking for. There were times I almost threw this book across the room because of how <laughs> stupid some of the story contrivances were. Oh. Like, there's a murderer. The murderer stole a cookbook of exotic recipes. If I hold a cooking contest, surely he'll use one of them to try to win and I'll catch the fiend. What? <laughs> oh. Sam Spade, you ain't. Oh. Okay, so, yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I think I was a little more favorable in my written review, but that's that. When you try to explain it in a non-spoiler way, it comes out sounding a lot better than it does when you try to actually explain it in a spoiler way, and you're like, "E and the gerbils took out the Death Star," kind of stuff. 
<sighs> so you're like, Wimmy Winks I, is back. I, I start this out with, I don't care about these. You're like, ah, crap. They're going to our high note. <laughs> You almost got to read this just to see this and be like, it can't be that. It's it's, it's, it's the holiday crazy. special in written form. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> Pretty much. There should have been a musical number. And I'm sure that if it had been multimedia, there would have been a musical number. Uh, and Crimson Corsair and the Lost Treasure Count Duke, who actually works fairly well. And so does Face of Evil. And High Noon on Jakku works okay. I mean, it's it's nothing special, but it works well enough. But man, uh, All Creatures Great and Small is weird. If oddly entertaining, it's it's kind of like, you know, somebody took drugs and then watched A New Hope and was like, what if there were varmints? <laughs> um, but the two ones that you would buy the physical book for instead of the ebooks, A Recipe for Death and True Love, just take the ridiculousness to all new heights. Oh, good times. <sighs> uh, says you, you didn't have to read it. Yeah, uh, that's probably why. <laughs> on a more positive note, <clears throat> yes, uh, this was also the year. In which we got the novel, which we reviewed on the show, uh, Bloodline, dealing with Leia uh, in the years leading up to The Force Awakens and the early stages of the First Order. Yeah, you know, that one was one that I, it took some digesting. Uh, You know, I'm still a fan of when Leia left politics in Legends during the New Jedi Order phase. I like the way that they did that. Uh, But because we were treading new ground and stuff, uh, I gave this one a go. I actually, I think this is probably one of the books I have re-listened to the most uh, next to Twilight Company. I really think that the way that the political aspects of this played out were probably some of the best political thriller I've read in a good long while. Uh, You know, it wasn't like, oh, really super suspenseful kind of thriller, but it was what's going to happen next kind of stuff. And then when you get to the end, uh, the tragedy that lies in uh, what happens to some of the main characters, it was deep. I mean, there were moments uh, throughout this book where I got a little choked up. Uh, Some of the reveals that happened, some of the the soiling of uh, certain characters like Bail Organa's uh, to the galactic eyes and stuff. Uh, you know, what happens to Leia, what, what Leia perceives happening to the public perception for Luke. There were, there were really cool moments throughout this book that, that really got me more excited than I thought I ever would be. This book was a very solid book, uh, and I think it was probably one of the better books all the way around of the new canon so far. I would agree. I really, really liked Bloodline. We talked about that quite a bit whenever we did the episode on it. It's it's political, it gives backstory, it has nice twists and turns, it has sort of an evolving mystery to some degree. Uh, it was a fun book, and one of the books that really stood out to me, uh, again, this year and throughout the new canon so far. Now, that said, you know, I am a political junkie. I teach social studies courses, you know, economics, government, world history, U.S. history, and so on and so on for a living. So anything that was going to be this heavily seeped in the politics of the galaxy far, far away, I was going to be stoked about. As long as it was the interesting angle of politics rather than, you know, we're going to talk about some trade disputes and try to send some Jedi to negotiate kind of thing. I mean, this was politics I could sort of sink my teeth into, and it had that viciousness at times that in a lot of ways sort of paralleled what was going on in the U.S. election cycle at the time. I'm just glad that it came out before the American election season was over, because if there really were going to draw more parallels to it, I would have hated for them to come out and have it turn out that Caster Foe liked grabbing Lothcats or something. <laughs> I'm like, no, we can't do it. Or it turns out that Leia had a ton of emails on from the holonet that, that all of a sudden showed that she'd been uh, she'd been playing fast and loose with with confidential information or something. I just 
I could just see it now. And Leia walked into the back of Castorfo's vault. And there she pulled an old pike staff and a wall chamber slid up into it. And inside he had his own hut dais with a bunch of Twi'lek slave girls dancing all around it. Yes, Castorfo liked pretending to be Jabba the Hut. We call them the Alt-Imperials. Oh my god! <laughs> I almost spit soda everywhere. Although, I, I must say, you know... American politics did give us the ability to coin the term alt-legends back in the day, so I guess, you know, it, it can't be as bad as it's as it seems. Um, but yeah, Bloodline, great one. Another one that we actually both found pretty good this year, uh, which was surprising because of how much the previous book in that trilogy sucked, uh, at least in some respects, was Aftermath Life Dead. I thought that was kind of a breath of fresh air after the original Aftermath because it was characters that we could actually care about because now we knew them more. A, a more straightforward storyline that actually intersected with some of the major characters so none, none of the, the expectations issues were going on. It was written simply better grammatically. And yeah, I, I was surprised, but I found that I really, really liked Life Debt when it hit this year. Yeah, Life Debt was a, a solid one. And you're right. It was a surprise that it was so solid. I think the only thing about Life Debt I really didn't care that much for was what they did with Chewie in the backstory. Granted, I, I'm accepting it for what it is. And I kind of feel like that wasn't something that Chuck Wendig really had control over. I think that's something like... You know, he was told by Story Group, hey, we're putting Chewie in this situation. Uh, you know, we want him to kind of be here by the end of the book. And Chuck delivered. But that that just, that wasn't my real cup of tea for what was going on with that. But I did enjoy the book all the way around. Uh, I liked seeing Han when he finally showed up. I really got a kick out of the characters, uh, you know, the the ragtag group. Uh, Sinjir especially was one of the characters that I, I liked him in the first book, but he really kind of stole the show in the second book for me. I really I enjoyed how him and John Burrell interacted, uh, him and Jazz like that. There was like this little it wasn't quite like a, a love triangle, but there was definitely a, a a friction triangle with them. Like, you know, two of them were kind of romantically involved and the third one kind of knew about what was going on and had fun ribbing them and they all ribbed each other back. Like, I, I don't know. I got a kick out of that relationship. It was a, 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 a it felt a more character driven story overall and I appreciated that. Uh, you know, it did have a couple little moments of weirdness where we had uh, Caliente with her uh, gender neutral pronoun where I was like, what the hell's going on? But aside from that, I think overall that book was probably Chuck Wendig's biggest success. Yep, because can't really claim success on the comic adaptation of The Force Awakens, but that's something for next episode. Mm -hmm. uh, one book that we both talked about a little bit earlier, Mark more extensively than I, was Ahsoka. Uh, from Disney Lucasfilm Press, as opposed to coming from Del Rey. The story of essentially how she gets from shortly after Order 66 up through becoming Fulcrum, as opposed to all the way up through Rebels. Um, I remember my thought being that this was a pretty good book, a solid book, a book that people who like Ahsoka and like Rebels and like Clone Wars should read, but still one where I sat back and thought, you know... All those flashbacks to the Siege of Mandalore, that's the book that I really wanted. Mm. No, I'm in the same boat. I, I would say this is one of the top tier, but yeah, that Siege of Mandalore is why this is not my top book. Uh, it could have been. It easily could have been had they added just that little bit of stuff. Uh, you know, give us a little bit more of, you know, what was going on with, with when she disappeared. Uh, you know, I'd like to maybe find out how she got her lightsabers back. Like, there's some stuff like that that it would have been really cool to have gotten the well, answer they say, to. They say how the lightsabers come back. They say that Anakin somehow recovered them and gave them to her 
when setting up things for that Siege of Mandalore. So that yeah. we got. Yeah, but I mean, I, I would have liked to have seen it more instead of the way they gave it to us, I guess is, is a better way. I mean, it, it gets back to that whole aspect of everything around the Siege of Mandalore. Like, that was the time frame that I was the most interested in, and it felt like they just jumped past that. And I, I feel like the book suffered for that. Granted, I think it suffers in my own expectations, but I think even the people that didn't have that expectation when you're reading the book and they mention the Siege of Mandalore, you're going to immediately go, ooh, I want to know more about that, and they're not going to deliver. And I think that that is the one downside of that story. Otherwise, it was it was a fun story, a great ride. Uh, E.K. Johnson, she knows her stuff. Uh, you know, I would love to see her come back and write some more stuff. All right, before we move into things that are more sort of uh, reference material and whatnot, or some side mentions of things that are coming and whatnot, uh, we have one more novel for this year, and that is Rogue One Catalyst. Now, I literally just finished reading this last night. Mark, have you finished Catalyst yet? No, I'm still in the beginning of it. Uh, it's uh, seeming pretty good so far. I like that it's taking place in the Clone Wars. Um, you know, that's where I'm at right now. He's uh, just kind of trying to escape and failing. I'm very, very still fresh in the book. <laughs> okay, so to put this in a non-spoilery sort of way, uh, it is a book full of a ton of chronological references that covers at least four or five years' worth of time. Picking up uh, relatively early in the Clone Wars, but late enough that certain things in the Clone Wars have already happened that we know from the show, which is going to make placing it a little difficult. But it, it ends well before the beginning of the Tarkin novel, to give you a sense of the timing of this thing. I found that if you want to understand and care about Jin's mother and father particularly Galen, the father, then this is a great book to check out. If you are stoked for Krennic and want to know more about him as a villain, you're going to find that here as well. Uh, although, really, there's character arcs for Lyra, the mom, and uh, Galen, but Krennic doesn't really have much of a character arc in the book. He just kind of does his thing without really growing much at all. I will say, though, that this is one of those books that is, it's like it's solely there for backstory. Like It's sort of a character study thing to some degree, but it exists to give us more info about the Death Star's construction. It exists to give us more about the parents and Krennic. If there was no Rogue One film, we wouldn't care as much, and I'm not sure the book would have been published. I don't think this story can stand on its own because there's just not enough to it. There's a lot of time passing and a lot of stuff, but it doesn't really seem to in many ways have its own broader, uh, more dramatic arc. Uh, it's, it's very much sort of a personal realization, God, what am I doing kind of story, as opposed to it being a story that's really heavily conflict-driven. So to me, it's, it, was, it was good, but it wasn't anything I would say was great. Uh, I would say it's probably an essential read uh, for those who become big fans of Rogue One, though. I think that's the angle that, that's being played up here. I think it's brilliant in, in one regard. I mean, I remember last year at this time thinking, you know, where's our lead in? You know, the journey to The Force Awakens was no journey to The Force Awakens. This feels like what they should have done last year. And this gives me hope that, you know, if we're in a world where we're going to get another Star Wars film every single year... If they do this, this continues to add that feeling of the books matter. You know, this is that feeling of, you know, you don't have to get the book to know more. But if you get the book, you're going to know a hell of a lot more. 
And I, I just I think that that's a great way to build both of them together. You know, I mean, for every movie that comes out, you're going to have a book that ties right into it. One that does all the things that, that normally I hope for. Uh, so I, I think that's a great maneuver on their part, uh, you know, on Delray's part, especially, you know, hopefully we won't see a lot of things like what we saw with the film where we see Finn getting cut from the back and from the front in the two different versions. I mean, because that's going to be the nature of the process where we'll see heirs like that show up if it's not done meticulously. Uh, but I just see nothing but but gains from this approach when it comes to your new films coming out each year. Especially when you have someone like James Lucino doing it, who is very detail oriented, although Holy crap, it's going to be a pain trying to summarize this thing with all the two months ago this happened. You know, a week ago this happened, but it's all referring to its own events. So the entire story is sort of parceled out to you in, in chronological chunks. Nice. Now, getting away from the prose novels here, we have a couple of guides that stand out, I would say. Um, there are some other ones that we'll just kind of mix in together, and then I want to get into what's coming and uh, a thing that, that actually touches on legends. So... Two, I guess we'll, we'll call it three. Three reference guides, really, this year. We had the new edition of Complete Locations, which you might call Complete-er Locations. Uh, we had the Character Encyclopedia, updated and expanded. And a new updated and expanded edition, the third edition, many people thought it was the second, of Star Wars Year by Year. I guess to hit these real quick on my end, I did not pick up Complete Locations, I'm glad I didn't pick it up when I almost picked it up, at least with the copy that I picked up. I went to the local Books A Million. There were two copies of this book on their shelves. Both of them beat up because that's just the way our local Books A Million tends to be with anything big with a dust jacket. Somebody's taken it down, put it up, and weren't careful with it. Uh, that's why it's, safe, it's safer to have something sent through the U.S. mail than going to that Books A Million. But I digress. I pull it off the shelf. And I'm looking for the, the new The Force Awakens information in the first copy I pull off the shelf. I flip to the back. It's not there. I flip to the table of contents, see the pages that are listed, which are in the back. Flip back to the back. Surely I missed it. They're not there. I check the cover. It's the right edition. The pages weren't in the book. <laughs> Somehow or another, there was some kind of printing error or something. Because there you had a 2016 version of Complete Locations that in its table of contents said this is where you will find the info late in the book on The Force Awakens <laughs> that was missing all of it. And it wasn't torn out. It simply wasn't there. The other copy that was there had all the pages. It was in even worse condition, so I didn't wind up buying it. But, whoa. So if you were to order complete locations on Amazon or something, be careful. Make sure you know how the return policy works in case you get one in the mail that is missing the entire section you probably bought it for. Blows my mind. Um, character Encyclopedia. A decent book that's made more for like younger readers or for those who are more new to the saga. Lots of background characters, but not a lot of new information. What I find interesting is that the Character Encyclopedia is updated and expanded over the first version of that book. What they don't tell you is that when they updated and expanded, they also cut a bunch of characters who were in the first one to make room for new stuff for this one. So it's updated and expanded, but part of that updating is that it shrank before they expanded it. So don't <laughs> expect that it will have exactly the same info as last time, plus new stuff. It is actually missing quite a bit of material from the first edition from characters they simply dropped to make room for more of the Force Awakens characters. That kind of had me scratching my head. That's not, to me, updated and expanded. 
unless you're going to mention the contraction somewhere, that seems like it's a little bit of a uh, false advertising. Or at least update some new characters or something. I mean... Well, they added characters. They just had to make room for them by getting rid of some of the old ones. Yeah. Uh, and then I, we have year by year updated and expanded. There was an original edition back, I guess it was in 2010, that took it up to about the middle of 2010, and it was very vague about what else was coming that year because it was the year it was being released, so it couldn't really say much specific. I love the year-by-year books. Uh, Star Wars year-by-year, I'm actually rereading it right now with reading the new edition. DC Comics year-by-year, the Marvel Chronicle that's now known as Marvel year-by-year, Batman year-by-year. I love those books. So I'm going through now and rereading it, but there was an original edition that covered up through 2010. There was an updated edition that didn't get a lot of fanfare um, that covered through 2012. And then now we got one that covers through 2016. Um, although keep in mind that they didn't, from what I could tell, go back and update the previous pages that already existed, except for the year that was only partly covered. Um, so really, if you're buying it, you're buying it for those new, you know, 10 or whatever it is pages that cover the years since whatever edition you had before um, but love year by year character encyclopedia is decent but eh, missing some stuff and complete locations i will probably pick up at some point because i think it looks cool but i don't know that's i'm almost scared of that book now <laughs> see yeah complete locations i may get uh year by year i will definitely find at some point every one of those year by years uh i pretty much got it a nick a nick and dent site uh, so got really good deals on them, and they weren't really bad off. So I'll probably do something similar like that, uh, keep that going. You know, uh, one of the ones that, that you know we could skip right over kind of are kid books. Uh, Jaina got a few that were sent to me and her. There was the ABC C-3PO with Katie Cook. Uh, can, Katie Cook can draw her art, was illustrated in that. The I Am a Droid, I Am a Jedi, I Am a Pilot series of golden books. Uh, and then Poe Dameron's Flight Log, all little kid-type books. But Jada actually got a kick out of the ABC C- uh, C-3PO book. That one uh, was really right up her alley. Oh, it's it just struck me. There's one that I didn't put on our list. Or actually, a couple, I guess, that I didn't put on our list. Disney has this thing that's a lot like uh, the Put Me in the Story website. Uh, they have a version of A New Hope and a version of a storybook for The Force Awakens where you enter your information and that of a friend. I used my wife to give you personalized books based on the films. So you can actually, and they're geared for kids, but like you could get, uh, for instance, The Force Awakens, you're there kind of on the sidelines constantly within the film. It's just, you're never the one showing up on screen. And a lot of times what you're doing is cleaning up messes that the other characters left, or you're doing something (laughs) to support them that's off screen. They're actually really pretty well done. Um, I would argue probably more well done than the Put Me in the Story ones. But the put me in the story ones were more like guide type things that happen to use your info rather than trying to actually put you in the story. Kind of a misnomer there. But I thought those were pretty cool. If you're looking for unique gifts for kids, those are actually pretty cool. I want to say it was just at the Disney store, like the Disney store website that I found those. I happened to be looking to see if there were anything new and exclusive and ran into those that I thought were pretty cool. That sounds cool. There's also, I guess, there's other small ones. There's um, Aliens of the Galaxy, Star Wars Graphics, which are ones I personally did not pick up. Uh, Aliens of the Galaxy seeming like it's a little younger geared, graphics being more visual. Uh, One visual one that I did pick up, though, is uh, Star Wars Propaganda. It's a book that basically shows a bunch of art prints for Star Wars, including a bunch of prints that you can actually pull out uh, they have a little folder type thing that they come in so you can hang them up yourself or frame them if you want. Ooh. But what's cool about it is that all of the art, instead of telling you about the real world artist 
who made them and what their influence was, it's written as if these were propaganda posters in universe oh, and cool. tells you the backstory and the circumstances of the artists and situations inspiring them in universe, which is awesome. It's like an art history book for someone who's living shortly after the force awakens or something. Um, very, very cool. Highly recommended, though not a book that showed up on a lot of people's radar, I think, because they weren't quite sure what to make of it. Wow. No, and, and it's Pablo Hildago that authored it, so you know it's going to be chock full of really cool goodies. I was not aware that it was done in that angle of, of historicalness. Like, that, I think, is really cool because, you know, you and I, we know a lot of the artists that end up being on this kind of stuff. So, you know, to, to, to have them immortalized in canon like that is always awesome. Now, since it was Pablo, does that make this a coffee table book sorry a joke that only makes sense to those who watch uh, rebels recon but still uh funny for some uh upcoming of course and ones that we'll touch on if they wind up meriting such as we get to our last episode of these four episodes in the year in review would be the rogue one novelization the rogue one ultimate visual guide the art of rogue one et al and uh star wars galactic maps coming to the u.s which I'm curious about because I believe it also deals a little bit with chronology issues and whatnot uh, in relation to some of the stuff that uh, Pablo Hidalgo has been recently talking about on Twitter. So we do have a few more still coming. It's just that they're not here yet. I'm personally looking forward to the visual guide because the last time with The Force Awakens, that gave us tons and tons of info. True. I forgot about that. And I I, I ended up, I don't know if DK sent me that. I ended up getting that one and I don't know how. I think I won it in the contest and I was blown away with what all was in there. In fact, that was when I found out that Starkiller Base had killed the, uh, the basically the Chancellor of the New Republic. I was like, wait, whoa, they actually succeeded? Like, it was that guy. I was like, holy cow. It was that guy. Yeah, it's like, wait, who? <laughs> who is this guy? Corsella, who is that? Yeah. I'm sure that's. I'm sure that was the book that, uh, that the writer of that Tales from a Galaxy Far, Far Away Aliens was using. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dude, that looks like a cool character. I'm going to make up something that has nothing to do with the film form. Now, Star Wars Galactic Maps, that has me interested. Now, is this anything at all like the Essential Atlas, or is this like a totally different beast? I, from what I understand, it's like a pared-down style of that sort of thing. Uh, I haven't seen a whole lot about it. I believe it actually already has had a UK release, but it's coming to us in the relatively near future. I've got a pre-order in for it, but uh, not quite yet. It'll come out in December, apparently. Mm, nice. Nice. Yeah, and so, you know, I'm hoping, I got high hopes for the Rogue One novelization, but, you know, right now I don't know if those those hopes will materialize. Hoping for some insight, maybe some inside the character point of view stuff. Those are the things that books always really excel at, so, you know, when we have novelizations, I really hope that we get an author that's going to pull a Matthew Stover and really just, you know, jump in on that. You know, give us, you know, put Lucino in a book like that. I would love to see what he could do. That brings us into short stories and magazines, which kind of go together. I guess because it's a, a lesser of a topic, a, probably a shorter topic to get into, we have the Rebels magazine for the United States had issues three through seven released already this year. And then issue number eight is supposed to be coming out before the end of the year. It's not out yet. And most notably, these comics all have, or these magazines, all have two comic stories in them that are reprinted from the UK where they generally appear one per issue uh, in the UK after having originally appeared in German in the German version of the Rebels magazine. Although, from what I understand, the UK one has been cancelled, which begs the question of whether the US one is long to see print uh, still, and if we will wind up seeing any stories not reprinted in the UK already from Germany 
getting reprinted in the U.S. directly from Germany and translated. Uh, somewhat of the future of that is in doubt. These stories tend to be kind of meh, may not amazing or anything, just quick little stories, but I give great credit to Martin Fisher, who wrote most of them, that he takes to Twitter and tells us exactly which episodes every single one happens between. Kudos to him for taking these small stories that don't necessarily have a big impact and telling us exactly how to fit them into the grand scheme of things instead of doing this vague crap that we're getting from almost everyone else. No, that is beyond helpful. I mean, that is that is like one of my biggest pet peeves is when you're writing a story and you don't even know when it's placed. Like, come on, really? This... I I mean, I get it. You can do it. But really, we should not make Star Wars that kind of universe. That is just a recipe for problems down the road. Yeah, it should not be sitting there going, well, has Luke ever used telekinesis before? Has he ever heard Obi-Wan's voice before where he heard it over here and he used telekinesis over here? And, 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 and no, tell us. When does Lando take place? Between A New Hope and Empire. Awesome. When does Lando take place? And so on and so on. Um, at least we got a little bit with the comics where they told us sort of how to figure it out. But... That'll certainly pop up in our comics episode next time. That leaves us with mostly Insider, which leads us into short stories. Insider this year had issues 163 through 169, which, while a couple of them did wind up including just excerpts from other stories, did include some new short stories, four to be exact. Uh, they also had the special edition for 2017. They always release the one numbered for the year shortly after it actually uh, gets released. And then we had a collected set of, of volumes, basically, called The Best of Star Wars Insider, and we had the first four volumes of that released this year. Of those short stories, we had Scorched, which is the background of a character that we see uh, very prominently in Bloodline. We had TK-146275, which was just sort of a random Stormtrooper story. Blade Squadron Kuat, a new Blade Squadron story, which also ties into Life Debt. And then Turning Point, another of these stories that seems like it's kind of just there on its lonesome. I don't know, did you pick these up? What did you think of them? I, I kind of felt like they were all just sort of there. Although the Kuat one was cool to see because at least it was giving us more detail on something we had already seen referenced in Life Debt. Otherwise, it felt kind of like a lackluster year. Uh, Scorched probably was an issue because I didn't really care as much for that character that we were sort of being forced to care about in Bloodline. So getting her backstory made me go, meh. No, I was in the Mia realm myself. Uh, you know, the Quat one was all right. I liked that it kind of felt like it was building off of other ones. And I kind of, I want to kind of get back to that. Like, uh, I can't remember what the name of it was, but during the New Jedi Order, they did a series of short stories that became a story of itself. It was like four or five issues. My Edge of Victory? Yes, that's the one. Yeah. Something like that. You know, I want them to start building up stories again and, and make something of, of more content. I Like, the little stories work and all, but unless they're going to wrangle them up in an anthology book at some point, I'm kind of just like, well, what's the real point? Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess that it, it's catering to a market that's really not my favorite, I guess. We want cereal! And we're not talking C-3PO's. Although, I kind of would like to see C-3PO's back, too. If Ooh. anybody wants to make the cereal. Crunchy. I remember that being so good, and yet I'm probably remembering totally wrong because I was a kid and anything Star Wars was so good. Your mom was slipping tricks in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank goodness I didn't see the Star Wars holiday special until I was much older. I might be like, Itchy is so awesome. <laughs> that brings us to kind of an unusual one here. And that is a short story released online to tie into Star Wars The Old Republic. 
The Old Republic by itself is kind of unusual right now in that it is still getting expansions. It actually has one that's, that's coming out before the end of the year. It's getting some amazing cinematic trailers that give us character depth that we don't see in many other Star Wars mediums, believe it or not. And it's the only story right now that is currently still being allowed to definitively continue Legends. Yes, we've got RPG and game material coming for Fantasy Flight games that dips into Legends a lot, but it's also while it's dipping into canon and giving us those authentic experiences that aren't necessarily one continuity or another or could blend between them. But The Old Republic is definitively Legends, and we're getting new material from it still. So Legends is continuing, though, very in a very small portion. Now, I haven't followed all the short stories and all the website stuff. I've been just saving stuff as people send me the links, and I'm going to come back to them when I can for the timeline. I still have a bunch of stuff that's been sent to me for the Old Republic I still have not got to uh, that I'm sure is causing Jameson Glass, who sent me the information, to pull his hair out because I promise it's coming, but I haven't had time to get to it. But there was one... Was it just one short story this year that appeared that actually added some new prose fiction to Legends, uh, A Mother's Hope? Wasn't that it? That was it. I know last year we had six, uh, actual six short stories added in the same fashion. They were all the Old Republic tie-ins, all on uh, BioWare's website, their blog. Uh, but yeah, just this one, and it is by Drew Carpitian, no less. So, you know, the guy that knows his Old Republic. So... Good author. Uh, it is a mother's hope. Uh, it, it features uh, Sinya Tyrol, I think is how you say it. Uh, her daughter Valen, which uh, we saw in that uh, betrayal trailer not too long ago, where the mom and daughter kind of get split up. You know, we see uh, them engaging in a duel on the planet Ormentel in the aftermath of the Battle of Odessen. Uh, let's see. The plot summary is uh, after the Battle of Odessen, Sinya Tyrell flees with the severely injured son Arcana. This is one of the two twins that we see uh, in the earlier trailers and stuff. The deposed Emperor of Zakula. That's that's his position, his role in everything. They arrive at Ordmantel seeking refuge. Sienna tries to meet with a cell of renegade knights of Zakul. Uh, they refuse to pledge fealty to the new Empress Valen, which is her youngest daughter. Uh, upon arrival, Sienna finds that the Renegade knights have been recently killed, with Valen waiting for her in wait. The two engage in a fierce duel. There is a lightsaber pike thrown in by Valen, critically damaging the hyperdrive on the shuttle near the crash. It explodes, and Mom kind of runs and flees, seeking help elsewhere. You know, I haven't been playing the game, but of course, you know, anything Legends I was interested in, I want to know a little bit more. And this character, you know, I'd seen her in the trailers and stuff. I didn't know how she tied into things, but she actually has quite a bit of history. She uh, joined those Knights of Zakula. She rose to a, a prominent role. They were protectors of the Immortal Emperor in the, in the Eternal Empire. She ends up falling in love with the Emperor, fathering three of his children, the two twins that we see, and the daughter later. Uh, you know, so, so all that's tied together. I had no clue that she factored so heavily into everything. Uh, the Knights of Zakul are an interesting group in and of themselves. They are a order of Force-sensitive warriors. They serve the original Emperor of the Internal Empire. They differ from both the Jedi and the Sith, believing that the use of the Force should be used only to enforce justice. So I thought that was kind of cool. They also believe in sharing all of their teachings instead of hoarding them like the Sith. So interesting little backstories there. We have a new Force-sensitive order. She was involved with that order. How it ties in with the Immortal Emperor. Just all of that. It's very interesting stuff. The Immortal Emperor has been a character that I've been interested in in a long time. Uh, you know, Legends kind of played with the fact that 
heck, you know, we could find out Palpatine is the immortal emperor for all we really know. I mean, that story is still growing and we don't exactly know what that character's fate is. We just know that the immortal emperor has the ability to jump from body to body to body to body. Really creepy stuff and very, very EU. I thought that was Vichit, but I'm so far behind on keeping up with anything from the Old Republic that I couldn't tell you. This is one of those games that if I had all the time in the world, I would probably be playing. But it is so in-depth. It is such a grind. It sucks up so much time to try to keep up with everything that just... I couldn't do it. I've taken to having to basically just watch videos of the storylines on YouTube because I don't have time to play through with every class of character to get all the information. Even if we're talking about the early, I'd be interested to know if there is still variance, because I don't know, if there is still variance between the character classes now in the stories or now that they've gotten heavily into these various expansions, if the story is the same regardless of which type of character you play for the most part. Um, since they seem to be continuing onward. The other stories, the originals, different class stories, kind of interweaved with each other to some degree, but were in many ways different stories. I'm curious about how this all plays out. But you were saying that, and you talking about how they, they want to suspend, to uh, to use the Force only to dispense justice, and I thought, there we go, we have ourselves some Force Justice Warriors, or, <laughs> in the back of my mind, I kept hearing, there is no Jedi, only Zakul. <laughs> Which you would have to have right around the time you're floating over the bed or you've got eggs cooking on your counter. Anyway, uh, but no, I'm very intrigued by it. I want to be able to get more into following that stuff. But God, it's just been, it's been crazy. My, my hope is that this summer will become a reading time and a catch-up time on that stuff for me because... Really, last summer should have been. It usually is when I catch up on things like that. But this past summer was moving and all of that. So with all that going on, I just never had the time. But yeah, I'm, pr I'm pretty stoked to see where the story goes from there. And I still, I am hoping beyond hope that when the time comes for the Old Republic to end, which I guess is kind of delving into our games topic, but whether we're talking about in short story form, game form, whatever, that they give us an end. Give us a reason to understand why this stuff is no longer happening as we move into the next major era of stories in Legends. Don't leave us hanging. Uh, don't give us what you call a satisfactory ending. <clears throat> Dark Horse. Give us a satisfactory ending. But I guess I sort of digress there. Uh, I think that's really all in terms of the books and magazines. I mean, it's, it's been not really a ton of stuff, but the stuff that's come out has been... Pretty solid. I, d I don't think this year had a lot of absolute home runs, but it had some really good ones along with some eh stuff. But there haven't been a ton of stinkers this year when it comes to the books. Um, even as much as I give crap to Tales from a Galaxy Far, Far Away, Aliens, there are three stories, kind of four, but at least three stories in that book that are decent, I would call good, one that's goofy and kind of weird, but good. And even the ones that make me pull my hair out from a certain point of view can be considered good stories. It's just way too close to internet dating, televised <laughs> cooking shows, and that kind of thing. You expect Gordon Ramsay to jump out and turn out to be a Sith Lord or something, although I wouldn't put it past him. But yeah, it's, it's, it was sort of a year, I would say, if I had to give it a grade, I'd give it probably a B, B-minus this year as far as books go 
See, I was going to go B+. Plus. I, I think uh, 2016 is everything 2015 should have been uh, with the launch of A New Dawn moving forward. Uh, you know, that year... I felt like it was kind of a letdown all the way around. It was That's not to say 2015 was a terrible year, but it was definitely a letdown. This year, I do not feel let down. Uh, I feel like I, I feel like I'm walking out on ice. I don't know how deep it is. And as I get across, I find out, hey, you know what? I had nothing to be afraid of. This ice was solid. Uh, you know, whereas the year before I was walking across and I was listening to it crack. I was seeing places where people had fallen through. I was really terrified. Uh, this year, I wasn't so scared. Uh, you know, Aftermath really blew me away how much I liked it, uh, Life Debt. So that was great. Bloodlines was a political book that I thought I wasn't going to enjoy. I really did. Uh, I think overall this year was really great. Uh, the fact that we've got a continued legend story on top of the year before we had six. I mean, granted, it went from six to one, but we still have it. They can't say Legends is completely dead. Uh, you know, I think for me, that alone is a, a cheering rally point. Uh, for all those people out there that are, are douchebags about bringing back Legends, you should be cheering about this. You know, I'm not hearing any... You know, rallying, yay, hey, we've done it, anything. Like, this just, this dropped in the middle of the night, and nobody seemed to really even know, and I'm kind of like, you guys can go out there and spoil The Force Awakens for people and be jerks, but you can't be excited about the fact that you actually got a story that kept Legends going. Like, ah, that just boggles my mind in and of itself, but I'm excited for the fact that we have it. Uh, you know, I hope they continue to do more Legends stories and tie into the game, even if it is only that. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity for us to find out more about the uh, Sith Emperor, find out exactly how Vidatat became Valkyron and, and all that stuff. Um, yeah, there, there's just a lot going on in this year. Uh, I'm kind of looking at next week's episode, and I'm, I'm panicking, man. There's, I, I think, you know, books seems like a lot. Holy cow, here come the comics. Oh, yeah. Star Wars Comics, the year of quantity, not quality. Oh, did I say that out loud? It must be a Marvel year. Oh, oh. <laughs> Yike! Yike! Sick burn! I thought we were going Civil War. Instead, we went Agent Carter. Yes. Yike. But yes, comics come up next time, followed by games in the following week, and then finally after that, our TV and films and other stuff episodes. So this wraps up part one of our four-part year in review, but there's still plenty more to come, and you won't have to wait forever to get it, because Michael has saved us. That's right. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWB on Films. 
or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It is the best way to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars or Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we want to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starsreport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanding Universe or the Harry Potter one or the Game of Thrones one or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within one year, that's 12 months, with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Wessler. And Nathan. Saying, thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't put us the odds that Mark will ever find out that while I'm muted, I'm basically saying the audible stuff along with him because we hear it so much. <laughs> Echo. <laughs> What are the odds that we're going to get lambasted for being happy about Legends continuing? There's somebody out there that's mad. I know it. Probably somebody out there that's mad that we didn't say the year sucked because of how much canon there was. You just can't please everybody. So true.